Welcome to the Rebel Physician Podcast, where we are creating a path for physicians to break free from the toxic medical system to create an enjoyable and a sustainable career in medicine. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo, push boundaries, and seek to create a better healthcare system for all. Today, I'm interviewing Frances Harden. She is a surgeon and the founder of Rethinking Residency, which is a platform that helps residents, past, future, and present, overcome the darkness that is residency. She has a wonderful platform with a wonderful mission and some great insights for you all. Enjoy. Frances, I'm very happy that you're here today with me. You have some great things to share, and a wonderful mission that I'm very excited to share with my audience. So let's just jump in. And you have this wonderful platform called Rethinking Residency. If you don't mind telling us a little bit about what it is and how it got started, and then we'll just get in from there. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm very excited to talk about Rethinking Residency. You know, I love so much of the rebel physician, you know, work advice. And what's interesting is that rethinking residency is very specific to the problems that a resident physician has if, and when they feel trapped as opposed to, you know, the very different set of problems that potentially an attending would be facing. You know, I I definitely want to make that distinction in terms of career, because I love the message that we can branch out, we can become the person that we want to, you know, and and make our career look the way that we want to. That being said, I totally acknowledge how as a resident physician, you know, on the conveyor belt of training, maybe dealing with medical debt background, um, just feeling like there's really not a way out other than through your training, that puts people in a very specific problematic position. And so what rethinking residency is geared at is one, acknowledging that problem. And then two, really arming residents with positive, detailed tools that they can use to get through it in the healthiest way possible, in the most optimal way possible. We just recently released the first installment of our ebook. It's literally called How to Win the Game of Residency. Because there is really, you know, a gamesmanship to it. And there's a way to come out as unscathed as possible on the back end. Yeah. And what was the motivation for bringing Rethinking Residency to the world? And what kind of tools have you found helpful for residents that you've helped? Yeah. Absolutely. So truly what inspired this website, the project, the resources that we put out is that for many years in my training, which was a five-year surgical training, I felt like I was in a very difficult work environment, difficult personalities, challenging situations. And certainly, you know, surgical training, even under the best of circumstances, is not a walk in the park. And so we acknowledge all those things. But what ultimately happened is that by about my third and certainly by my fourth year of residency, things had become 
so malignant in the workplace that I would find myself, you know, at 8 p.m. after a long day of work, sitting on the ground of the hospital basement bathroom, just, you know, crying, Googling on my phone, things like resident physician depression, resident physician suicide, just legitimately trying to connect with other people who were willing to call a spade a spade or maybe, you know, could also speak on similar types of trapped feeling experiences or ideas to get out. And actually, what's funny about this story is I did find one girl from the UK who wrote a blog post like 15 years ago, and it was very short, but she kind of was echoing a lot of those sentiments that I could relate to. I kept that open in a tab on my cell phone for about six months. That one so remote, you know, very far removed, even transcontinental blog post. And then the other discrete resource that I found was actually a book of physician suicide letters. Mm -hmm. And I purchased that on Amazon. It was pretty unhelpful at the time. Certainly Mm -hmm. didn't feel like that lifted spirits or was like this really... um, you know, constructive, positive thing. So, you know, my point being, unfortunately, I know the reality is that I'm not the only resident who's ever felt like they were in that position. And when you are in that position, it can be really difficult to see a way out or a way beyond it. Yeah. And I want to just echo what you said at the beginning about the message that in medicine, it absolutely is possible to cultivate a career that is in alignment it's really hard to do that in training if you're one of the lucky ones that is in a program that really does a pretty good job of worrying about the resident wellness and even even in the best of circumstances residency is really hard and there just frankly is not enough support or the whole thing needs a change to be honest, like the whole, how we educate doctors needs to be completely overhauled. Right. And I do want to say that it's, that's a really important thing that you said is that unfortunately the reality in medicine right now is that you have to tolerate residency. And sometimes that's depending on the program, really detrimental to one's physical, emotional, and mental health, which is why you're what you're doing is even is so important because there's so little out there to help residents that makes that's it that's safe so i want to talk a little bit about one of your blog posts if you don't mind um where you talk about how to um those the the term is distress tolerance which is the dbt method to talk to distress tolerance with this which is something that probably all physicians not just residents Um, could really use. So would you be willing to kind of teach a little bit on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that set of distress tolerance skills, it's one of the four dialectic behavioral therapy modules. And what's awesome about it is that of all the different frameworks, schools of thought, different models for people to, you know, better handle themselves, prepare themselves for the workplace. I think that these increasing your distress tolerance tools 
are so uniquely helpful to a resident. And I say that, of course, coming from a surgical residency background, but one of the problems that we run into is that as a resident, you know, you're operating in these long, say, flap cases, like 15 hours scrubbed in. And if it's with a personality that is kind of a bully, you know, that that's a tough situation. You're scrubbed in. All the advice that you, you read about online, put your favorite song on. Well, what if that attending doesn't like your kind of music? So they're playing, you know, cop rock and uh, take a block. Uh, take a walk around the block. That's not really an option. That's not on the table. And so these skills are so specific and usable to a scrubbed in medical student, resident, fellow who is under duress. So one of the first skills is called radical acceptance. And radical acceptance, like many of these skills, it takes things to the extreme. Again, the word radical. So this is not just saying okay, I accept the moment in kind of this general Zen way. It truly means um, doing the half smile, doing willing hands. Willing hands are a really nice physical gesture that any person can make even when they're scrubbed in, as long as they're not retracting or actively operating. But certainly in our earlier years of career, a lot of us do spend time with free hands. Um, Not And willing hands means like palms up, out in front of you is that what you're yes yes so it would be still within your scrubbed in clean box in front of your torso and palms face up and that's you showing indicating you know to to the universe indicating to yourself your willingness your openness to the situation mm-hmm. and it truly does cause that mind frame shift like how a gentle half smile behind your mask can also And, you know, a related skill is called opposite action. What I really love about that, what I love about opposite action is that, again, it takes things to the extremes. The opposite of laying in bed all day isn't going out to your couch to watch Netflix for a few hours. It's actually going outside and doing, you know, a brisk walk and talking to your friends. You know, it's not just saying, okay, well... I'll move to another room of the house, but actually I'm going to do the true opposite of this feeling, which is be full of energy and go out and do something productive. Um, another school, another skill that's really- Can I ask cool- a question about that before we move on? So what would opposite action look like to the scrubbed in resident? So that's a great example. Let's let's picture an emotion, I guess, not challenging for me to picture this emotion. Imagine you want to run away or scream, you know? So mm-hmm. you're thinking, okay, I'm going to run screaming out of this operating room. This kind of behavior, the general vibe in here, it's very harmful to my psyche. You would think, well, the opposite action is stay put. Just stay put, you know, stay put, bear it, eat it. But that's not the true opposite of running away. It's actually throwing yourself into it. It is actually engaging, engaging more deeply in it as in, okay, try to make some conversation, ask a relevant question. You know, of course we do all have to time that around the critical portions of the case. You know, of course I'd read the room, but really the opposite of running away is actually engaging the topic. It's not tolerating the topic because that's kind of the mistake that some of us make is we think, okay, if I sit here and I don't move and I tolerate it, I've succeeded. But I do think that that takes a toll on the psyche at the end of the day. 
Another skill that's really great for increasing distress tolerance, again, this can be used when scrubbed in. It is a tip from the Navy SEALs, actually. It's the box breathing technique. Uh, there are all sorts of very interesting and, you know, various evidence-based breathing alternative techniques that exist, but this box breathing is great for somebody who is physically under duress. In box breathing, you breathe in while counting to four slowly. You feel the air entering your lungs. At the top of the box, you hold your breath for four seconds. Next, slowly exhale through your mouth for four seconds. And then you hold your breath again for four seconds. One thing that's nice about this technique is it's easy to remember. Four, 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 four. I have studied and trialed out various other techniques where, you know, the numbers are three, seven, eight, you know, when you're acutely distressed, they may even be harder to access or harder to remember. But this breathing, what's interesting about it is that it's so unnatural that it's actually a really good nervous system reset. Mm -hmm. And that's why, so what do the Navy SEALs use it for? I'm just curious. <laughs> do you know? I think they use it to increase distress tolerance or, you know, again, like when they're in an uncomfortable situation, like physical, yeah, discomfort. Mm -hmm. well, physical or mental, I would or think. Mental. Again, yeah. it it is so unnatural a breathing style that you actually do have to put a lot of focus into it. And mm -hmm. again, the body responds. It, it, it is quite unnatural, but can be effective. So how do you know when it's working? Like, how would someone know that it's, oh, I feel like, do they feel physically calmer? Is like, do they feel like their parasympathetic nervous system has come online? Like, what is what is the effect? Yeah. So, you know, I think that the textbook and real life definitely can be different. And I say that as somebody who has actively tried to implement these skills. So the box breathing skill is part of the tip skills, which are temperature, intense exercise, paced breathing, and paired muscle relaxation. But all of these skills, which fall under distress tolerance, they are meant to calm your limbic system and decrease your state of emotional arousal. So in terms of knowing that it's working while scrubbed in, I don't know that, you know, I'm at the point where it brings me to this just extremely zen, calm place. But I will say that for me personally, in my practice, it is the absence of emotional arousal. And I will totally take that. It's when you're not activated. Any day you can walk out and say, hey, you know what? I did stay pretty, pretty truly neutral. And, you know, I wasn't activated by that person. I wasn't activated by those words. Yeah, neutrality is a huge win. And I think that that's often overlooked because physicians are very all or nothing, right? It's like we're either happy or sad. And there's so much in between those things. And I really think that, that the neutrality, feeling neutral about something is so powerful. And it's a lot easier to access that than pure joy about something that we don't like. So I really think that's something very important that you just mentioned. And then one other actual example that comes to mind about how box breathing, you know, did help me get to a better headspace. It, it's so funny, but I think back to, you know, my co-resident and I, we were chief residents. We were sitting in a fairly, you know, dramatic, high emotions, troubling resident meeting. You know, imagine like some admin there, some attendings and all the residents are sitting there. It's like just a very 
you know, quite stressful situation. Certainly I'm starting to feel activated. I know my co-resident is also starting to feel activated, but it's so funny because we're under the table texting each other like, oh, okay. Box breathing is not really working. Like, hello, are you there? Is box breathing working for you? And, you know, she's like, no. And we're kind of going back and forth. But what's so fun is actually it it really did help me have perspective and also remember, you know, this is not this is not life and death. It helped take me out of the moment. It helped improve like the whole perspective. And it literally did like make me crack a smile when otherwise I was about to careen down a pathway towards being very activated mm-hmm. and physically upset you know, tachycardic, diaphoretic, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to take you away from that list if you were still heading, have some points to make. Totally. So a really good one is the self-soothing by grounding in your senses. Actually, I think to me, it like box breathing is so challenging that you do have to put a fair bit of attention into it and so it inherently for me since it's not a regular practice of mine it it can be a good distraction when I do choose to implement it but in this tool you ground yourself mentally using all five senses one of the common forms of this meditation certainly there are variations and plays on this but you name five things that you can see include their colors shapes and textures Then name four things that you can hear, include ambient noise, the sound of your breathing, the sound of a neighbor, you know, maybe the bovie going off, an attending, berating somebody. Then three things that you can touch, so the floor under your feet, you know, under your Crocs, and your hands resting on the patient. Two things that you can smell, again, usually bovie smoke kind of something like that. And then one thing that you can taste. And so that practice, it absolutely can be used outside the operating room. It could be used in a meeting that is distressing or of a distressing nature. You know, it can be used during a dinner that you don't want to be at. But it truly, again, these practices that take you out of yourself, it really, I think of it as one of my favorite quotes from the book, The Untethered Soul. And that quote is, you are watching TV. I love the way that he describes it, but basically what happens is, you know, that feeling when you're a couple hours into a movie and you are 100% in. I mean, some of us get in more fully and more readily than others, but I'm certainly one of those people where I'm 100% swept in. If you catch me in the middle of a movie watching it for the first time, I probably don't know that I'm not in the movie. And we can actually translate that to our own consciousness as human people. And so, For instance, when you are, say, scrubbed into a case, it's going poorly. Again, they're screaming, they're throwing instruments, you know, whatever you have. That is not you. You know, you sit in your seat of consciousness. And so by saying, okay, I'm just watching TV, you know, this is not me and this is not my soul. For me, having that bit of distance and that bit of healthy perspective has been really a positive thing in my life. It helps me to not be so weighed down by those types of things when they happen around me. Yeah. The Untethered Soul is probably one of my top five favorite books of all time. So if you like to read and you haven't read The Untethered Soul, Michael Singer, I think is the author, um, you want to read it. It it really changed my life. 
as as well really did so that's another good book recommendation so before we hit record you had mentioned a term that called alternate rebellion and i really love this idea and i think that um for the physicians who the you know think that rebel physician is a little bit too disruptive for them in their current environment um i think that the al- alternate rebellion is a good place to start so do you mind telling us about about that Absolutely. I love this concept and it truly is just such a, you know, nice little trick that brings joy into one's own life without being enormously disruptive in any way to other people. So it is a dialectical behavioral therapy skill, actually. And really, by definition, it's where you can feel rebellious, but without being self-destructive. So, you know, kind of like I just said. And so some fun examples of it and relevant to trainees, physicians, really at any level of their career is you could wear really crazy fun underwear. You know, that's something that only you're going to know that you're going to show up at work and do your job, but you will have this kind of fun, crazy secret just to yourself. Another good example is wearing crazy socks and certainly have seen, you know, physicians derive enjoyment from that. My own personal version is that I do wear a piece of evil eye jewelry as a necklace and that's from a girlfriend and it was actually given to me as a gift to wear as a small alternate rebellion at work it is you know very it's very quiet it's understated doesn't bother anyone in the workplace but it's something to derive joy from i love that that's really perfect well this has been really enlightening and helpful for me i really appreciate your time before we end, I would love it if you don't mind telling me, like, what is your vision for rethinking residency, you know, in the next five to 10 years? Like, what's your vision? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. And I really appreciate it. So really an all out assault on the current system as it stands, because again, like I know you said Residents are really not supported. I don't feel like there's much out there um, in terms of resources for them when things are going off the rails. Of course, I do know residents who had really nice training program experiences and things like that, but what about those who don't? Because that's, you know, in multiple locations throughout the country. So we do have a book coming out called How to Win the Game of Residency. And that goes through, comes through all these DBT skills in detail. Mm-hmm. And so we we really love that. I also have a book coming out this fall called The Little Book of Physician Wellness. And that is published with another MD physician, as well as a clinical psych PhD lending their expert skills teaching. And so we're very excited about that. That is much broader than even the resident physician. But in terms of where rethinking residency as a project is going to go, to me, as long as there are residents out there who respond to the material or feel anything the way that I did, we'll keep putting out different skills, different tricks, things like the alternate rebellion, like really positive measures that one can take. The quote that I think of for this and what really drives it for residents specifically is that old saying that when we can't change our situation. We're forced to change ourselves. And best case scenario, regardless of what you decide to do with your career, what career moves you want to make after training, you're going to put yourself in the best position possible to succeed. 
Yeah. That sounds like, I mean, you're doing great work. I appreciate so much your time and everything you're doing for residents and physicians in general. Um, and if anyone wants to find you, they can go to Rethinking Residency. Um, is it rethinkresidency.com? Mm -hmm. And I'll have that link in the um, episode details. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you.